Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, September 28, 2020, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we continue our study on the book of Ezekiel, and we're looking specifically at Ezekiel chapter 35 and Ezekiel chapter 36. When we know that through the study that Ezekiel can feel like a dark and heavy book, as we consistently see the rebellion of the people and the nation. But what we must remember is that our sin is also heavy and dark. We are not saved because of our righteousness, nor because our sins were not as filthy as another's. No, we were sinned by the miraculous grace of God for God's glory. We are saved for God's glory. At Lifeline, we have been gathering together every morning for prayer since September of 1981. It was important to our founders that Lifeline be a place that recognized our utter need and dependency upon the Lord. Beloved, we still gather in this manner today, although it looks much different with many more people, with many more screens on Zoom and over social media. In 1981, Lifeline's prayer gathering many times was just our first executive director, John Carr, in his office alone, studying God's word and praying for wisdom and direction. You see, as a ministry, we come daily, not because we believe we are better, more spiritual, not because of rote repetition or because it's just who we are culturally, but we come together to pray and study because we realize that each and every day we are hopelessly lost apart from the grace of God. We need the Lord to act among us for the sake of his holy name. So as we are reading through Ezekiel, let us remember that the rebellion and darkness we see, it mirrors our condition before Christ and that we utterly need the grace and the goodness of God. In Ezekiel 35 and 36, we will see that God refuses to leave his people in the condition of rebellion and darkness, but he provides all that is necessary to conform those he loves into the image of Christ. And we must remember God's aim is never just to reform the behavior of his people, but ultimately to transform their hearts and to transform their lives. In Ezekiel 11, chapter 11, verse 19 through 20, the Lord says, I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh so that they may follow my statutes, keep my ordinances and practice them. Then they will be my people and I will be their God. Look again at that phrase, so they may. The new heart is what enables God's chosen people to follow his statutes, keep his ordinances, and to reform their practices. God's love transforms. He does not leave us in the condition he finds us. His ultimate aim is that he will be, is that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8 verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Ezekiel chapter 35 and 36 contains a magnificent picture of God not leaving his people, not leaving the people he loves in the dreadful condition in which he found them. No, God acts for his glory and for their good and for our good. Even as Christians today, we are so tempted to have a very me-centered worldview. 
We will quickly denounce the prosperity gospel theology, but in reality, we operate with one in our own head. We view ourselves as the center of the universe, and God is supposed to give us a good marriage, a fulfilling job, an amazing house. He's supposed to protect us from disease and pandemic, and he's supposed to protect us from the effects of this fallen world. When things happen, we tend to ascribe those things as fallacies of God. We shake our fist and ask him, how could a loving God ever let something like this happen? Recently, a couple of weeks ago, we, uh, we went to the beach. We've been going to the beach for almost 14 straight years in the month of September. And every single year, something happens to remind us that we live in a fallen world. The me- beach may be beautiful and relaxing, but it isn't perfect in a fallen world. This year was a doozy. Our son, 15-year-old son Caleb, had just gotten his cast off, and so his right arm was almost immovable. Within an hour of arriving, Emily was stung by a massive jellyfish. The first full day was interrupted by rain from a tropical storm, which became a hurricane, which lingered for most of the week. A window fell out of the house that we were staying in, and as we were leaving, Ashley turned her ankle and was barely able to walk. In all, we had one nice day at the beach. And beloved, this is the effect of sin in the fallen world. We don't shake our fist at God and tell him, don't you know how much I needed a stress-free, relaxing week after six months straight of dealing with a global pandemic and all the things of 2020? Instead, we are reminded that we aren't living for our pleasure, but we are living for the glory of God. And so how we navigate these predicaments speaks more about what we truly believe about God. And as we will see in this passage, When God acts, he always does so primarily for his glory and secondarily for our good. He doesn't rescue us because we're great, but because he is. And he's not even delivering Judah because they have repented, but so that he might lead them to repentance. Because we tend to be dull-minded people, God clearly articulated his primary purpose in verse 22 of chapter 36, when he says, it is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you profane among the nations where you are sent. Israel's special relationship with God was not because of anything attractive or special about Israel, but because of what God chose to give them. He always acts for the glory of his renown. And so with that, let's read Ezekiel chapter 35 and chapter 36. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say to it, thus says the Lord, behold, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you and I will make you a desolation and a waste. I will lay your cities waste and you shall become a desolation and you shall know that I am the Lord because you cherish perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare for you for blood and blood shall pursue you because you did not hate bloodshed. Therefore, blood shall pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a waste and desolation, and I will cut off from it all who come and go. And I will fill its mountains with the slain. On your hills and in your valleys and in all your ravines, those slain with the sword shall fall. I will make you a perpetual desolation, and your cities shall not be inhabited. Then you shall know that I am the Lord." Because you said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we shall take possession of them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord, I will deal with you according to the anger and envy that you showed because of the hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. 
I've heard of all the revilings that you uttered against the mountains of Israel, saying, they are laid desolate, they are given us to devour. And you magnified yourselves against me with your mouth and multiply your words against me. And I heard it. Thus says the Lord, while the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel, because it was desolate, so I will deal with you. You shall be desolate, Mount Seir, and Edom, all of it. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Chapter 36, and you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy said of you, aha, and the ancient heights have been our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you from all sides so that you became a possession of the rest of the nations and you became the talk and the evil gossip of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and the hills, the ravines and the valleys, the desolate places and the deserted cities, which have become a prey and a derision to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, for thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession and wholehearted joy and utter contempt that they might make its pasture lands a prey. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and the hills, to the ravines and the valleys, thus say, says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath because you were, because you have suffered the reproach of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I swear that the nations that are all around you shall suffer themselves reproach. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you and I will turn to you and you shall be tilled and sown and I will multiply people on you, the whole house of Israel, all of it. The city shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt and I will multiply on you man and beast and they shall multiply and be fruitful. And I will multiply on you man and beast and they shall be fruitful and I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times and will do more good to you than ever before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will let the people walk on you, even my people Israel, and they shall possess you and you shall be their inheritance and you shall no longer bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour people and you bereave your nation of children. Therefore, you shall no longer devour people and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. And I will not let you hear any more of the reproach of the nations and you shall no longer bear the disgrace of the peoples and no longer cause your nation to stumble, declares the Lord God. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanliness of a woman in her menstrual purity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of the land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. 
And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. And also I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the trees and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the waste and the desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock of sacrifices, like the flock of Jerusalem during their appointed feast. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Oh, beloved, we see in chapter 35, a prophecy against Edom, which reminds us that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. God does not grant mercy to Edom, but instead repays them for their wickedness and removes them from the land. Ezekiel 35 is about God's pronouncements of judgments. The passage shows there is no universalism. There is no salvation except through a contrite and repentant spirit, which Edom nor Israel has in these passages. Edom was guilty of intense hatred of Israel in which at Israel's lowest point. Edom showed absolutely no mercy, verse five. The Edomites revealed in bloodshed, verse six. They declared Israel should be their possession, verse 10 and verse 12. But absolutely worst of all, Edom boasted against God and spoke many words against the Lord. They were so arrogant that they thought their deeds were in secret, but God heard it himself. Verse 13 says, and you magnified yourselves against me with your mouth and multiply your words against me. And I heard it. Edom and Israel had always been at war. And if you remember, this is, this goes all the way back to God in his glory saying, when Jacob and Esau were born, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. Esau was the land of Edom and these tribes were at war. And they're still at war and God's giving judgment, judgment to Edom because of their sin and grace to Israel, even in spite of her sin. But I want to ask you, are we, is this us? Are we Edom? Are we Israel? Do we fail to show mercy? Do we revel in others' calamity? Do we dominate relationships for our gain? Or do we sinfully lust after the things of the world, believing we are doing it without the Lord seeing? God did not need anyone else to let him know what Edom was doing and saying. He saw it, he heard it, and he knew it. Instead of extending mercy, God is going to give Edom exactly what they deserved by repaying their own sin against them. Look again at verse 11. It says, therefore, as I live, declares the Lord, I will deal with you according to the anger and envy that you showed because of your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among you when I judge you. 
And as a result, Mount Seir will be made desolate forever. And the Edomites will know that he is Yahweh. And in all of these actions, God acts in a way that is completely fair. So why did Edom receive judgment? And then in chapter 36, Israel received mercy. Both nations deserve God's wrath. Edom receives it and is ruined. However, Israel walks through wrath, but is disciplined and restored. At the end of life, sinners who rebel against the Lord will go to hell, while other sinners who repented, believed, and followed Jesus, although imperfectly, will be saved for life everlasting. Is it fair that a loving and just God would condemn some to hell? The truth of the matter is that's not the right question. The question is, why are we all not going to hell? It's fair to be condemned to hell because of our wickedness. It's not fair to be saved by God's grace. But thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So we must turn from our sin and live. We must stop walking in wickedness and walk in his righteousness. Edom was repaid for their sin and removed from their land because they lacked repentance. We should heed Christ's words from Luke chapter 13, verse 5. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Israel deserved to be treated in the same manner as Edom. They were just as guilty of rebellion and of lacking repentance. And we see that in chapter 36, verse 16 through 21. God's people polluted their land with bloodshed and idolatry, verse 18. They profaned God's name everywhere they were scattered, verse 20. Their exile caused the nations to question God's goodness and sovereignty. Every other nation knew Israel was the people of Yahweh, yet they had to leave his land in exile. Verse 20. However, because of God's promise, he would restore Israel for the day of his holy name and for the sake of his holy name. In the salvation of his people, God is not passive. If he were, we would all likewise perish. But in Ezekiel 36, we see God's active participation in the salvation of his people clearly. Look again in verses 22 through 32, and you will see 13 times the statement, I will as of the Lord. It is no question when we read these verses that God is the actor. 13 times in 10 verses, God says, I will. Verse 23 I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. And then we move on to verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Last part of verse 25, I will cleanse you. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from you. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you. Verse 28, I will be your God. Verse 29, I will deliver you from your uncleanliness. I will summon the grain and make it abundant. Verse 30, I will make the fruit of the trees and the increase of the fields abundant. Verse 32, I will act, declares the Lord. Over and over, God says, I will. Nothing in this paragraph is what Israel will do for itself, but all what the Lord will do for them. God is not sitting back and hoping for the salvation of his people. He is accomplishing it. Oh, and glory be to God that in our lives, if we are of the redeemed, he is accomplishing our salvation. We didn't have to do it ourselves. We didn't have to just hope for salvation. God was not sitting back idly. God was coming towards us, racing towards us to restore us. 
And so there are four things we see God doing through his matchless grace for Israel and Ezekiel and ultimately what he does for us through the gospel of Christ Jesus. The first of the four is that he brings true restoration. Verse 24 says, I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Oh, God is bringing restoration to his people. He is gathering them and restoring them. I love the way the prophet Amos says it. He actually shows you what happens that Ezekiel had prophesied. He gives another prophecy in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, when he says in verse 11, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruin and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my peoples, Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make their gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord God. God does not tell his people to come to him. He goes and he gets them. He restores them. He brings true restoration. He seeks them out and he finds them and he gathers them to himself. Paul says it this way about our restoration in the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. For consider your callings, brother. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you who are in Christ Jesus, who have become the wisdom of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God gathers us and saves us, not by our own merit or our own work, but solely by his finished work at the cross. Our God brings true restoration, but second, he changes and he renews. Verse 25 through 27, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God isn't asking us to clean ourselves up to be presentable, but he is making us presentable by changing our heart and making all things new. I love the J.R.R. Tolkien quote that says, all things sad will become untrue. This is what Christ is doing for Israel and for us in the gospel, making all sad things become untrue. C.S. Lewis writes in The Great Divorce, Some say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that bitter agony into a glory. Paul says it this way about our redemption and restoration in the gospel of Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The work of Christ completely changes and renews us, just like God was doing for Israel through the words of the prophet Ezekiel. But third, God does the complete work of reconciliation. Verse 29 is such a healing and powerful word. You shall be my people and I will be your God. God doesn't just heal or bandage the wound, but he removes it. Considering reconciliation, we often think of two parties who are in disagreement and move and moving in opposite directions. In God's reconciling, the people walk away from him, but he never walks away from them. And in fact, he goes and gets them while they are still running away and brings them back into a right relationship with himself. God will not be unfaithful, although we have been so repeatedly. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God does the complete work of reconciliation, getting us into right relationship with him. And then in turn, he gives us the ministry to do on his behalf. But then the fourth thing God does through his matchless grace is that he transforms our future reality. Look again at verses 33 through 36. God isn't just restoring, renewing, and reconciling the past and the present. He is transforming a future reality. Beloved, listen to this. This is truly amazing grace. Verse 33, thus says the Lord God, on the day that I will cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the garden of Eden and the waste and the desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. What sweet, truly amazing grace. We were insolent, arrogant, cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, and utterly sinful in direct opposition to God. But God his glory and for our good reaches out with extravagant grace to transform our future reality, remaking creation to its perfect state. It's like John the Revelator said in Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. In verse 29, God says he is doing, going to save his people from all their uncleanliness. In verse 33, God says he's going to cleanse his people from all their iniquities. What God sets out to do, he does completely. God does not only have the power to take away some of our sin, but all of it. And through the cross of Christ, God has saved us from sin's entire penalty and has broken its power. The day is coming when the full measure of Ezekiel 36 will be experienced and God will remove sin's presence from his people forever. We will never disappoint him again or bring reproach upon his name. We will never have to seek his forgiveness, but fully live in obedience to him and delight in him. And so, in closing, we are called to three things. Number one, we are called to remember his remarkable grace. Verse 31 says, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. Huh. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. He wants us to remember our depravity from which we have been saved to help us to, to, to save us from repeating our sin. He wants us to loathe our sin, but also he wants us to remember so that we will boast and proclaim his goodness, his glory, his remarkable mercy, and his remarkable grace. God wants his people to remember that he loved them in their worst state and still chose to rescue them. He alone deserves all the glory and the praise. So beloved, remember, remember from which you came and enjoy his remarkable grace. But second, we are called to seek his face in prayer. You see, prayer is a privilege. God is telling the people here what he will do, but he gives the privilege to the people to ask him to do it. God will answer their prayer, but his prayer is linked to their asking. When the ruined cities are filled with a flock of people, it will be because God has given the increase in response to his people's intercessions. We often do not ask God too much, but too little. He delights to answer prayers according to his will. And the best way we know to do his will is to know his word. The prayers of his people are not a burden to him. The God of heaven wants us to cast all of our cares on him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-7 six, six through seven. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time He may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So let us pray. Let us seek His face in prayer. But third and lastly, we are called to spread the glory of God to the nations. God's motive in salvation is His glory to all nations. Six times he mentions the nations in verses 21 to 23. Listen again. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, says the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will, in, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them, the nations. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their, the nations, eyes. Oh, 
God is about his glory going to all nations. When the fall happened, a ripple effect of evil sin and licentiousness spread forth upon the earth, seeking to rob the glory of the creator. And today, beloved, we rob the glory of the creator when we fail to revel in the simple things like the rising sun or the ocean, which knows its boundary. We rob the glory of God when we legalize abortion or reject the beautiful racial diversity and creativity of our God by frowning upon that which is different. We have robbed God's glory. However, through his restorative grace, he has now invited us into his unfolding plan of making all things new. And so we are now commissioned to go, therefore, and to make the glory of God known to all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations by discipling them and baptizing them in the name of the Son and the Father. Beloved, we are saved for the glory of God. So let us remember, let us pray, and let us spread the glory of God. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. Today, we are praying for our counseling ministry. We're praying that God will work in the hearts of parents to keep them focused on Him and what He has called them to during this difficult time. We pray that children will find connection and security with their families, and ultimately, security and connection with the Lord. For several clients, we are praying for them as they are struggling with thoughts of self-harm. We pray for light in the darkness. We pray for health and safety for each of our therapists and families during COVID. We pray that families find moments of rest and refreshment as they continue to fight anxiety and challenges during COVID and the new difficulties of the current education system. We pray that school starting will give a much needed relief. We pray for the families who have been hit hardest and for the parents and children involved with disruptions and dissolutions. We pray for soft hearts for all members of families in our counseling department and that God will continue to deepen relationships both with him and within families. We pray for our current therapist at Lifeline, Angela and Mo and Katie and Whitney and Leanne and even our intern David. We pray for our therapists to have clarity in how to approach and best help each family. We pray for the development of Lifeline's counseling that God will lead us to continue to develop a business model that is both sustainable and accessible to families in need. We pray for the development of adoption-competent counseling resources in underserved areas. We also praise God. We praise Him for families that He has brought to the counseling department and for the work that He's accomplished in each so far, for their courage and faithfulness in committing to do hard things, and prayers for strength as the journey continues and work deepens. We praise God for how He works through the counseling process. Our therapists are filled with gratefulness to Him and the way that He can bring about change. It is a blessing to see His work in people's lives. We praise Him for technology that has allowed us to continue to see clients during COVID. We praise the Lord for the flexibility and creativity given by God to each of our therapists to continue to do difficult work through telehealth. And we praise the Lord for the amazing growth in the counseling department over the past year, for the exciting opportunities currently in the works. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would work in the hearts and the lives of these families and these children who are going through the counseling procedure. We pray that you would watch over them and care for them. We pray they find connection and security with you and in their families. We pray for those that are struggling with self-harm thoughts. We pray that there would be light in the darkness. Thank you for our team. We thank you for what they are doing. And we pray that you would empower them and use them. And Lord, that your words would flow through them. And then all ways that we counsel, that we would be counseling and leading these people to you, to your throne into your goodness. And we may not be counseling them to the supposed wisdom of man or to some supposed theology, but Lord, may we be leading them to your gracious throne because you are the 
Prince of Peace. You are the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. Lord God, we love you. Pray that you continue to grow this program for your glory, for your name's sake, and for the sake of your gospel to the nations. It's in your great name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music